Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the All of You Whole podcast, hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. Go ahead and hit that pause button and then the plus button to subscribe to this show so you get more impactful content each and every week. We would also love it if you would leave a five-star rating and review. This helps people you and I don't even know find the show. And lastly, please share an episode you love with whoever you can. Sharing is caring, and that's how we continue to grow. And as always, I am forever grateful for your support. Today on the show, we welcome Megan Shantz. I absolutely adore Megan, and I'm so glad that she got to finally come on the podcast today. This is an important podcast episode. I know it is so, so long. I could have talked to her for four hours, <laughs> so this was me trying to make it short, but there is so much amazingness packed into this episode, so I hope you'll listen to the whole thing. Megan, if you do not already follow her and know her, she is the podcaster behind Faith and Feminism. She is also the author of the book, women rising. Today on the show, we are talking all about reclaiming feminism for Christianity. This is such an important topic, y'all. You guys know I'm a huge fan of women in leadership in the church, and I do not think that we talk about it enough. I love how she frames feminism as equality, right? Like men and women should just be equal, and this doesn't feel like rocket science. So without further ado, let's welcome Megan to the show. Welcome to the show, Megan. I am so thrilled to chat with you today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So first, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and who you are? Yes. My name is Megan. I am a author and a podcaster. I'm author of the book called Women Rising, Learning to Listen, Reclaiming Our Voice. I am a podcaster of the Faith and Feminism podcast. And I also am starting seminary in like a Yay. couple of weeks. Oh, that's so my, exciting. Yeah. For my Master of Divinity. I'm also a mom to an 11-month-old who is just delightful, and I'm a (laughs) wife, and I have two rescue dogs. I'm originally from Colorado. I live in Athens, Georgia. So that's just a brief. Yay. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. I followed you for a long time. I don't know how I didn't realize two things. I live in Colorado now, and also I went to the University of Georgia, and that's where I met my husband. Wow, it's so crazy. It's so, it's like a flip-flop. Yeah. And I mean, we just love Athens. We try to get back as much as we can. Okay. So that yeah. makes me love you even more. But my husband and I read your book, Women Rising on a plane. I say read. We listened to your book, Women Rising on an <laughs> airplane and we both loved it. And I love that he was so willing to read it with me. He was like, yeah, let's do it. So I would love for you, for people who haven't read your book yet, can you share with us a little bit about your story that you share in your book about being on the world radio? missions trip and especially the eye-opening experiences that you had learning about the oppression of women. Yeah. So I went to school in Colorado. I went to the University of Colorado Boulder. I majored in news editorial journalism, which is print journalism. Graduated right as newspapers died. Yay. And so I, being raised in the conservative evangelical church, I really loved God, but a lot of things weren't open to me as a woman. I was raised to believe that I was put on the planet to serve men, that I could not teach, preach, or lead, and that essentially my role would be to be a submissive housewife, and I didn't really want that, and so I thought that I can do missions. That's something I can do Mm. with my love for God, and so I joined this program called The World Race, and for 11 months went around the world and I have some qualms about it. Yeah. At the time it really gave me an opportunity to work with women from around the globe and immediately I noticed a tie between these gender roles that my church said were good, for example, that men should be in charge, that women should primarily be at home. And I noticed that when these cult like cultural values were lived out, it was actually quite detrimental and harmful to women. I first encountered this in Kenya Mm. in a very patriarchal culture. And the girls there were survivors of female genital mutilation. And they were also telling me that they had to fight to get, they were in secondary school at the time, how hard they had to fight to go to school and how Mm. much abuse they faced just to get there every day and that they were being raped. And it was just 
eye-opening to me Mm. that a lot of things I had learned about in college were happening in front of my eyes. (laughs) And then definitely noticing the tie between patriarchy. And as I continued going to different countries, I noticed that while the food and the culture and the climate would change, one thing wouldn't Mm. change. And that was that women were treated as second-class citizens. And this became abundantly clear when I was working with women who were being sexually exploited in the Philippines. I was partnering with an organization that was helping them go through college. And for people who aren't familiar with what sexual exploitation looks like in that particular part of the world, um, at least where we were, women were being sold in bars. Yeah. And the bars were primarily catering to Western men, so men from Australia, United States, European men, et cetera. And what was happening is obviously everyone knows that there's so many more natural disasters that are happening with climate change. And what's happening in the Philippines is entire like islands are getting wiped out due to these typhoons and they are sending their oldest children to the city so they don't starve. And these children are not educated in terms of what's employable and they become easy prey to traffickers. And that was the most common story I heard was Mm. these women, sometimes girls were trying to survive. That that was it. And so we would offer them a safe house and an opportunity to go to college and hopefully pay for their dependence. And I was there talking to these women and this American man started talking to us and he asked us why we were there and we told him and we returned the question back to him and he, he what he said I'll never forget he said that he came to the Philippines to get the respect that he deserved that women were supposed to serve men and be subservient to men And women in the United States did not know their place and these women did. And so he came to get that submission and respect. And as he was talking to me, it sounded like so familiar. I'm like, where have I heard this before? I've heard this a lot before, but in a completely different context. And the answer is that I heard it from my evangelical pastors and preachers all growing up. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks that one has a God stamp on it and one doesn't, but that the desire for men to be served and for women to submit to them is definitely not a godly desire. And it was something that I needed to take a stand against. And so I quit my job and started talking about the evils of patriarchy, I started preaching feminism and was quickly thrown out of my faith community. And so I wrote a book and I started a podcast (laughs) and yeah, first of all, I want to know, because I feel like we grew up the exact same way. How did these, how did patriarchy and these beliefs about women, how did they feel to you? Do you remember how they felt to you as a child? Awful. I think there's I don't know the word for it, but people call it a conscious or intuition or whatever you want to call it. I knew it was wrong from the very beginning. Mm. I remember really struggling with the fact that in school, I was told I could be anything. But when I went to church, I was told (laughs) I could be one thing. And so I immediately knew that it felt icky and that it felt wrong. But I so desperately wanted to show my love for God that... I eventually learned to shrink and just right. play the part because all of us need belonging. And right. that was what I needed. I needed belonging. And there is a point, obviously, through my story where my need to be true to yeah. what I had, I had learned to these women and to myself was far more important than my belonging. And I knew what it would cost me. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was worth it. And it was. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I feel like for myself, I, like having things be told to you for so long, right? Like mm-hmm. 25-ish years. Like, and, and it's it's always, in my experience, was always like, this is truth with a capital T. Like, mm-hmm. there's no room for questions. There's no room for other opinions. I didn't even realize that there were other Christians who believed different things. Like there are people who love God and also think women should lead. Like those, that was not shown to me. So was it hard for you to reconcile this new belief that you were having, like with the old belief or was it like easy to shed? I think that's a tough question. I think internally it was like a gift 
to mm. shed those beliefs. Sure. Because I always knew it was wrong. I can tell you time after time when I just felt like this wasn't truth, mm. but I had, like you said, no other examples. Yeah. But it felt wrong and it always mm. felt wrong. And so I think what I had lived and knew was wrong, like personally, the injustice that I had suffered within the conservative evangelical church, when I saw that happening again, I was like, okay, this is not just me. This is a worldwide problem. And patriarchy is evil, whether or not it has a Jesus stamp on it or not. And so for me, it wasn't hard on a personal level to let Mm. go of it. It was extremely difficult coming out with those beliefs because I knew that it would cost me. And there's a long story there of the friends who disowned me, the family members. And so in in that way, it was extremely difficult. But I think this is literally how I built my platform. A lot of us are thinking it. Yeah. I'm just the one saying it. And so I think that is actually how I built my Mm -hmm. platform and started my podcast is I was finally saying the thing that so many of us were thinking, but didn't feel safe to say. And I just, I just had reached the the point of, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, for sure. Especially if I spent the last five years raising money to serve these women, I'm being completely dishonest. Right. If I continue to act like this God stand patriarchy thing is okay. And I just, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Once you came out with your newfound beliefs, were the conversations with friends and family more, I don't agree, but let's be friends. Or was it totally, you're cut off, you're canceled. Uh, I was pretty much canceled. Let's see. Okay. So of course there's some people who did share my beliefs and were like, oh, I'm so glad you finally said that. So I don't want to say like everyone was like, bye Megan. I will say that because of the missions organization that I worked with, when I started questioning, I also was pushing against some of their policies Mm. and I was attacked for it. It was so funny because I remember one time It's a really long situation to explain. Essentially, in this forum, we were supposed to ask her, you know, any questions at all about to our leadership team. Any questions? It's all welcome. This is the time to ask your question. It's supposed to build community. And so they were talking about this thing that was sexist. And I had already talked to my boss about it. And I'm like, this is wrong. And she's like, yeah. And the whole, my whole marketing department agreed with me. We we all knew it was wrong. And yet they were still like promoting this thing. And so they hadn't listened. And so I was like, and I remember leaning over to my boss. I'm like, is this a good time to ask the question? Um, Is this a sexist policy? um, And yeah, that did not go over well. The, the, The speaker got very angry at me and made fun of me in front of this entire room of yeah. my coworkers. Yeah. And even as he was like ripping into me, I heard people behind me saying that was a really good question. And, and so yeah. I knew that I had at least some of the support of my coworkers. And afterwards, after that happened, I had a bunch of them come up to me and say that was unacceptable. I'm following up with an email. I eventually yeah. got the policy changed over two weeks, but at the end wow. of it, they pulled me aside and told me that even though I was right, I was wrong to bring it up yeah. because I asked the question in offense, which I didn't, by the way. Yeah, but well, of course. They assume because I'm a woman right. that I'm offended when I'm just saying, no, this is like much bigger. And yes, I am offended, but this is not why I asked the question. And I think this is such a <laughs> tactic people use yeah. to silence the voice of those who have been for sure oppressed or what's another word for it? Disenfranchised. Yeah. We do this. There's so many ways that people do this. They do it with LGBTQ community. Yep. They do this mm-hmm. with people of color. They yep. do it with black folks. They do it with anyone yes. that's pushing against agenda. They say, oh, you're just, at, that's your problem because you're offended. And so even if you're but right, the funny you're thing wrong is, Megan, It's like, you're, you should be offended. Like you were yeah. wrong and you did something that was offensive. So guess what? I'm offended which is the natural process of how mm-hmm. this works. And that means that you should change, not that I should not be offended. Yeah. The yeah. way that it gets flipped, you're the problem, is a problem, right? It is. Oh, man. It so is. the overarching theme of our conversation is all around feminism, which is such a struggle that it is such a hot 
like a hot button item. Like it's an offensive term to so many people, especially in the evangelical church. But Mm -hmm. I want to know from a Christian perspective and especially within the Christian church, what does feminism, what does that word mean to you? I'm just going to, and I, this is how I always answer this question. Look at the dictionary. Let's go to the dictionary. If you're offended by this term, let's go look at it. And it's simply equality between men and women. That's literally all feminism is. It's equality. Yeah. And that is the dictionary definition. And if you're offended by the term, that's because people have been offended by equality. And so they put offensive, said it was evil or whatever. And this is especially true in the evangelical church because men thought that sharing any kind of power with women was offensive. And so Mm. they're going to demonize it to hold on to that power. And so we see this especially true in the Southern Baptist Convention. And we see this still happening today. I could go into a big history lesson of it. I'm not going to, but like my definition of feminism is the dictionary definition. And if you say you're not a feminist, then you're not for equal rights. And I'm not interested in (laughs) and communion with someone who doesn't think that women and men should have equal rights. That's wow. I don't know what to say to you. If you yeah, think for that. sure. You're, because when you say that, you're literally saying, I think men deserve more rights, yeah. more protection, more right. opportunities than women. Mm-hmm. That is what you're saying. Well, and, and people can say that with a straight face and as if there's no reason, like there's no qualms, like mm-hmm. men are better. Men should have more And the Bible proves this, period. Why are you even questioning this? And that is what is so shocking. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That people really can be like, I'm not a feminist and I'm not for equality because X, Y, Z and period. And that's how it should be. Such a bummer. There's so many things that like get twisted. For one thing, like what I heard all the time is that men and women are um, equal in value, but separate in role. Yep. And like, wow. Do you even hear yourself? Do you even hear that I am keeping you out of certain positions and most of the positions, actually, not just certain, but most of them. Yeah. And I'm saying you're equal. That's not true. We know from civil rights movements, that's not true. Separate but equal is not a thing. It doesn't, it's not a thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. And if we Mm. look at scripture, my goodness, I understand that a, a, a patriarchal misogynist can look at the Bible and say, look, this is what it means to me. This is how I'm going to protect my power. And I also see how you can look at the Bible the way I look at the Bible, which is through a liberation lens. And For sure. I, yeah. And so I totally believe the Bible is a book of liberation, but Same. people who choose to look at it as a patriarchal misogynist book, those are also the type of people who have argued that slavery is okay. Oh, and for so- sure. And like back when we were trying to abolish slavery, it was the Bible that was used to protect it. People are still using the Bible to say slavery is okay today. And, uh. and, and I've, I've engaged in some kind of some like racial discussions about that. And it's astounding to me. But the point is like, you can, sadly, you can use the Bible to to say whatever you want it to say. But I think when we look at the lens of Jesus, which is how I read the Bible, if Jesus is the word of God, which is what it says in the Bible, then what did he do? If when we see him, we see the father. What does that mean? And I see Jesus being a complete feminist, a complete liberator of women, and right. not just of women, but of all people. And I could tell you story after story where I see Jesus just completely flipping these patriarchal yeah. norms on their head and giving freedom to women that they've never mm-hmm. had before. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like it's hard for us to see if I'm not like, I had a pastor once who was like, his MDiv was in like Jewish, ancient Jewish culture, first century. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know all those things, but I feel like it's hard for us sometimes to read the Bible and understand how shocking the things Jesus did were at the time, right? And really be able to translate that into like a modern equivalent. I feel like we lose some of that shock value because the culture is different. But I'm, you know, I'm always surprised. There was like a period of my life where I was like, okay, so wait, what was I not taught about women in the Bible? Let me find all the women in the Bible, right? And so that was a really eye-opening experience to me because there's so many amazing women in the Bible in leadership roles 
right? And as far as my upbringing, those stories were not told. They were essentially swept under the rug because it very much undermines the patriarchy within the church and only men can lead and only men can preach and all these things. I'm curious, I'm sure you're aware of these stories as well. What is one of your favorites? I have a lot of stories that are my favorite of women in the Bible. And like you said, they're the stories that aren't told and we're not Mm -hmm. even told to look at them. But I want to even just say it's extraordinary that women are mentioned at all. And especially Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament, because this is such a critical context. And if you look at the authors, these it's just like patriarchy. So we should really pay attention when women are mentioned. And so something I always say, which has made a lot of people angry, (laughs) is I think biblical womanhood is actually defying patriarchal and cultural norms to pursue justice. And I'll give a lot of examples of that because we've been taught that biblical womanhood is like submitting to your husband. Okay. What about Esther? Like that whole story is about her disobeying her husband to save a group of people. And if we look it is, that's exactly what it is. It's disobeying. And then there's other women that we never talk about. There's Shipra and Pua who also disobeyed Pharaoh and lied to him to also save little baby boys that were being murdered. There is even Ruth is going against her cultural norms. Like literally Deborah, she was a leader of the people. They're like almost I could literally go on a very long list of all these women who are defying cultural norms and changing (laughs) changing the world in some ways because they chose to go against patriarchal context. And I wrote a tweet, like I said, that got a lot of people angry. And I can't think of a single woman in the Bible praised for her submission to to men. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't doesn't exist. But I can Uh, think of a lot who were praised for their disobedience and their resisting. And so I just think that, again, people have read the Bible through a patriarchal context to dominate and make women submissive. And then that was what was taught. And we were taught if we questioned it or pushed against it, that we were going to hell. And we knew that it would cost us oftentimes our community. But just like the woman in the Bible, like, you can't shut me up. I'm going to do something about it because this is what I actually think is called righteousness. And I, yeah. So there's plenty of more examples that I could go into, but for the sake of time. Yeah, I know. And I love it because the crazy thing about shutting women up in the church is of course, there is the narrative of like women stay at home with your babies and don't even have a career. But in a lot of more progressive churches, it's like you can have a career, you can do whatever you want in a secular lens. If you want to be a NASA astronaut, go for it. You want to be a physician, go for it. You want to do whatever, go for it. But you saying that I wanted to use my love for God and share my love for God, it's so bizarre to me. And I've never really considered this until this moment. It's so bizarre to me that women are really, from a career perspective, we're really hindered within the church. Mm -hmm. Go be a doctor, but you also can't be a pastor. Go be a NASA astronaut, but you can only lead in children's ministry. That's bizarre, right? That Mm -hmm. we're withheld specifically within church roles. Yeah. And I want to say that I also think it's just lip service that they're saying, go be a NASA, whatever, Mm. because when it comes like how many people refuse to vote for Hillary Clinton because she was a woman and they don't believe women should be leading mm. or charging, being in charge. And so I just feel like it's actually lip service. They're yeah. saying that you're empowered, but I don't actually trust you because I won't even let you teach me anything about God or yeah. even your own perspective of scripture. And so for me, I'm like, this is just lip service. Yeah, thanks. I don't actually think you want to empower me. I think you just want to say that and then yeah. put a stand. And so, and I've had so many conversations. My goodness, I'm not even interested in having these like debates anymore. But for a while, I thought well, I can get through to them. No. But um, <laughs> I remember having this conversation with my father-in-law. He was saying that women teaching is like evil or whatever, um, or preaching or whatever. And I was like, what's really interesting. You want to have this conversation with me, but according to your theology, anything I say, I can't teach you. I, again, Mm. I am against your theology for me to teach you anything. So I don't see a point in having this conversation because according to your theology, I can't teach you. So you're just going to (laughs) win. Yeah. I'm just not interested in having this conversation because you 
there is no way that I can make you see Mm. differently. And that's why I wrote my book is, you know what? I don't have the energy (laughs) to have a conversation with these people. Maybe you'll pick up my book and I can explain it thoroughly and understand scripturally, scientifically, where and how I arrived at this conclusion. I don't think my father still hasn't even read the book because he's against it. And it's yeah. so like, there's sometimes you just can't get to them and it's okay. That's fine. That's not my job. One of the most powerful things my therapist taught me is look where you have influence and use mm. it instead yep. of wasting your time yeah. trying to convince people that you don't have influence over. And right. so that's what I did is, and then of course they tried to attack my podcast and whatever. I've had so many trolls, but and a lot of them have been family members, but the point is I, I, you can't shut me up and I can stop trying to convince you. And I'm going to use my influence where I have it because this is yeah. a fruitless endeavor with you. Yeah, no, that's, No, for all of us, I feel like that's such a good piece of advice. Man, therapists are great, right? Okay, so changing topics. Purity culture (laughs) was so huge in the 90s, and there's still remnants of it today. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure we both grew up in this cultural culture in evangelical circles. So for people who were blessed to not grow up in this culture, can you tell us a little bit about what it is and also how it's damaging and how it's really just a primer for rape culture? Yeah. So purity culture is this lovely belief system that the evangelical church introduced. And unfortunately, it actually spread to our public school system. So even if, yeah, Oh, yeah. I have friends who had to sign, like in Georgia and Florida, who had to sign purity pledges who are non-religious in public school. Yes. I had no idea. Yeah, no, it's true. So I had to sign that at my Christian school in Tennessee, but I thought that this 24-hour rule, like it was because we were this Christian school. Public schools? How is that legal? I, it, there's a, it, it's okay. So what's happening? There is this big move of Christian nationalism. It's been happening oh. for decades, started yeah. in the 1980s, but there is a really good book about it. The Power Worshippers is honestly one of the best books I've read, but it's called Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. Yeah. And it talks about the religious right strategy to infiltrate our public schools, which we see they are being very successful, especially in the state of Florida. But this has been going on. It's not like a new phenomenon. This started like in the Mm eighties. And so anyways, purity culture, which is the point you should read that book, by the way, or listen, at least listen to the podcast on my, because it is so disturbing, but also very important to be aware of what's going on. But anyway, so back to what purity culture is, it's this idea that you must it, it it values remaining quote unquote pure until marriage, so not having sex until marriage. But along with that comes with tons of really harmful teachings that are taught to men and women, or I should actually say girls and boys, because they start teaching this at yeah. 12, sometimes earlier. So essentially the idea is that men cannot control and boys cannot control themselves and they cannot control their thoughts. And so women and girls must cover up their bodies in order not to be stumbling blocks. And so a lot of girls were taught these analogies of like them being some kind of object to be consumed or so a lot of licked lollipop. If you do anything sexual with a boy, you're a licked lollipop and no one wants you. And I was actually given the flower version of that where like you're a flower and each time you do something sexual, you lose a petal and no one wants a bald flower because they're useless after that. So that's harmful in so many different ways. Number one, it's teaching girls that they're objects to be consumed and they don't have value outside of their sexual purity. And it's also teaching boys that they can't control themselves and that women are responsible for their lustful thoughts. And it's also teaching boys that they're hypersexual and can't control themselves. And so all of this is a great primer for rape culture. And I actually have... 
uh, slides that I broke this down piece by piece. It's one of my more popular Instagram posts, but eight ways that rape culture is a primer for purity culture. And I could go into it piece by piece, but it is, it it just simply is because it's saying that men aren't responsible for their sexual actions. And it's saying girls, you are so So bad. Okay. But tell me this, because I was talking to a friend about this recently. Is it Mm -hmm. still your like theological belief that you should wait for marriage? No. Oh, interesting. Okay. We'll have a phone call later to dive into that because (laughs) I feel like currently I, that is my belief. And so I'm like, is there a way to have that belief and also be like, there is, but I don't have that belief anymore. And I can go into why. Yeah. Is it quick? Could you do it fast? Okay. Essentially I started with you where I thought I should still basically it's through I talked to a lot of sex therapists and I talked mm-hmm. to a lot of therapists and I talked to specifically the woman I'm talking about is Dr. Tina Sherman Sellers and she talks about sexual ethics in the Bible and so it's so interesting that people are told that we have a biblical sexual ethic I'm like have you read about sex in the Bible first of all it's all over the place there's all not the any place. kind of consistency and yeah. if, if, if you're purporting like there is one way to have Christian sex it's actually not accurate because mm. if we look at David he had multiple wives we have one of the oh patriarchs yeah. sleeping with his daughter-in-law yeah and, but it's interesting because the daughter-in-law in that scenario who like tricks her father-in-law into sleeping with her is actually yeah. the righteous one so all of that to say I think we need to take a step back of what we thought mm. is Christian asking, where did they get this idea that we should wait for marriage and Jesus? So for me, my, if I had to sum up my sexual ethics and a short thing is, are you honoring and fully dignifying the person that you are in relationship with? And for me, that would look like a loving, committed relationship, but is marriage the line that I draw? And it's the answer is no, because I think there's a lot of really harmful sex that's happening in marriages based on people who are raised in purity culture. And so for me, I don't, I feel like God is a lot more concerned with how we treat one another, whether or not mm. that's in a sexual relationship and how we honor one another's bodies. And like I said, I think there's a lot of really unethical sex yeah. that is happening in Christian marriages because men yeah. have been taught that only their sexual pleasure matters. They've yeah. been taught that their wife is there to serve their sexual needs. Right. And so they're basically treating their wife like a sexual object. And so yeah. do I think that... Suddenly you put a Christian, a marriage stamp on that. And that's like suddenly good and holy. Yeah, that's such a good point. I don't. And so for me, it's, I'm not really interested in like these binaries people create. My question is, are you honoring the dignity and divinity and holiness in another person when you engage with them sexually (laughs) and not necessarily this line of of marriage and I also say that because like I did wait till marriage a lot of Mm. people are like oh you just said that because I'm like I've literally only had sex with my husband yeah and I'm glad I waited but I don't think that's necessarily true for everyone and I also think I had a lot of and still do with a lot of harm that purity culture did about waiting and when I think about even like me and my husband pre-marriage, like the, the guilt and strain yes. that it put on our relationship For sure. instead of just like going, go, like honoring one another. I think right. we dehumanized each other more because of purity culture. Times. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, because of sticking to this, we have to wait, then it would have been. And then I did that I know. because I was taught that men can't control themselves. And so anytime he would have an erection, I thought it was evil. And so all of that to say, and, and but then I would feel bad myself because yeah. I caused his erection. And so yeah. I just think that it's so harmful in every way. Yeah. And so I, for me, I had to throw out the whole thing and come to like, what does Jesus want from our relationships? What does mm. he want from our marriage relationships? What does he want between any kind of 
lover situation. And I had to, yeah. So for me, so a lot of people don't agree with me and say I'm not a Christian because of that. But I also don't think there's a oh, basis man. scripturally to say it has yeah. to be in marriage. Sure. Because if, again, we could talk about biblical sex. That stuff is very messed up. Sure. So, well, and I think that this is, here's the thing too. I think that yeah. the Bible can be very, can be like, can be such a struggle because a lot of times it's like David had this affair and there, maybe this is a bad example, but it's like mm-hmm. this person did this thing that's atrocious, but yeah. there's not like a, then the narrator of God comes in and says, don't do that. So a lot of times people are doing terrible things mm-hmm. and maybe it's supposed to be clear to us as the reader, that's a terrible thing and you shouldn't do this. And a generation later, they're wandering the desert or there's consequences far later, but we don't make those connections and it's not clear what has God's stamp of approval and what doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's how you have Mormons who practice polygamy and mm-hmm. have 10 wives because they see it in the Bible. They think that it's ordained by God and they should still be practicing polygamy. So I feel like, yes, there's a bunch of different kinds of sex in the Bible. And that's why it's also confusing to come to your own theology of there's all these examples. Half of them are terrible. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for us? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I actually don't know if there's any good examples mm, in the Bible, at least yeah. what I can think of. Because yeah. even, even Esther, she was essentially a sex slave. And then mm. we think of David and he raped Bathsheba. Yeah. And then we even think of Abraham and the way that he gave his wife he, this is oh. a founder of her faith, gave yeah. his wife Sarai or Sarah yeah. Yeah. to be sexually exploited Twice. by Pharaoh. Twice, yes. two different and times. So, <laughs> I just, I really think it's That's interesting that people are trying to, I think we can draw themes from the Bible, but I think mm. people look too hard yes. at certain stories and miss looking at things through a Jesus lens. No, I think you're so right. I don't even know. I honestly don't know where people and people have been, even before I deconstructed, I remember asking, where does it say sex has to be until marriage? And no pastor could show me. No one has ever shown me. Has anyone showed you? I think that if I had to guess, I would think it goes back primarily to Adam and Eve, which is funny too, but just like the two become one. That's an example. But were they married in the church? Ex- isn't that funny? They're not. So like, and so, they're not. So this exactly. is my point. Where yeah. did we even get this idea that right. we have to be married? I think it's far more about the dignity. And Tina, Dr. Tina, you should go listen to yeah. an episode I did with her. She explains yeah. it a lot better because she's actually researched this stuff. And yeah. this is why I'm getting my MDiv. I have so many reasons. I'm like, why yeah. is it this way? Why have we been taught this way? And what is the scriptural evidence? And what is the historical context? And what is the Greek and the Hebrew and all of these different things? And right now I don't have those tools. I can read other people's books and other people's works, but I I love those answers for myself. We'll be following along as you get your MDiv (laughs) and I'll read your stuff. Okay. I have a million more questions, but one, two, I think that my biggest last question is just, you mentioned like, there are people that you just won't have influence over, right? Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I feel like those are the people that it would be lovely if they believed these things, right? They believe that Mm -hmm. that women are equal and Mm -hmm. all these things. Do you have hope (laughs) for the future of the evangelical church in like when we're specifically talking about feminism and also justice and inclusion and all the things? Do you have hope, comma, (laughs) and how do we change it? I have hope for individuals. Mm. I don't know if I necessarily have hope for the institution as a whole, because I think the institution as a whole would become something else Mm. if they were following those principles of of feminism and inclusion and justice. And so do I have hope for individuals? Do I have hope for them to change their beliefs? Absolutely. I I don't know if, for example, the SBC is ever going to loosen their grip on power, what they're probably going to do is keep kicking people out, which keeps yep. on happening. Right. Step outside. And I think that's historically true. But if we look at the history of Christianity as a whole, there's always been even like how, how Martin Luther and his thesis, I don't like, was there hope then? I think there always will be people who are dedicated. And I, and I do believe in the Holy Spirit. And I do believe that God changes hearts. Yeah. Sometimes 
what it talks about our battle is not against flesh and blood against mm. but against powers and principalities and yeah. forever I was taught that was like demons yeah no I think that literally means powers and principalities mm. yeah. um I think sometimes we were taught to think take things as like demonic that were like literal and some things that were literal yeah. to be demonic like yeah. I think it's, it's worth examining that but yeah. when it says that I think what is being said is that our struggle is not against my brother or my sister mm. or my non-binary friend. My struggle is against these institutions that are yeah. preserving power and creating mm. systems of inequity. So yeah. I'm not against Joe Schmo necessarily. What I'm against is patriarchy. Uh. And I'm an against that of your support of patriarchy because it's harming me. And it's not just harming me, it's harming a lot of people. And so, yes, I have hope for individuals in the evangelical church, but I don't see the point in preserving an institution that refuses to change or adapt mm. or become Christ-like. And sure. I'm not saying that everything from the evangelical church is evil or wrong. Yeah, I do think it is evil and wrong to harm people and your yeah. practices and to ignore the cries and pleas of the people you're supposed to serve. Oh, for sure. And yes, I do, I do think there's hope. I've had people reach out to me who said that they read my book and their mind was changed men. Mm, and so I do have hope for individuals. And I am yeah. one of those people that yeah, was changed. I was same. one of those individuals that God taught me better or the Holy spirit or whatever you want to call it. I was yeah. able to learn. So do I have hope? Absolutely. I have a, a ton of hope. Yeah. I'm not as interested in preserving the institution as I am the people inside. Mm. And yeah, yes, I guess that's my answer. Yes, I'm becoming yeah. part of the institutional church by mm-hmm. pursuing my MDiv, by pursuing ordination. Sure, yeah. But, but I do think the there are UMC. people doing it well. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think mm-hmm. people, there are churches, as more, as you're saying, you have hope in individuals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, we will find each other. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We will band together and... It's interesting to look at church history and look at specifically the process of reformation and Mm -hmm. change and just like waking up that happens. And it happens like every three or 400 years and we're like 400 years behind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I'm, I have hope that this change can become universal. I don't know that it will ever be like, when has the church ever been unified, right? Like we have Mm -hmm. a million denominations and it's freaking hard for us to agree on just about anything. But I do think that this progress and this change can start with individuals and hopefully change entire churches, entire denominations. Maybe I'm just too naive, but feels possible. (laughs) It feels possible, but I think there's a real important distinction that I want to mention that I've learned from Black theologians. So mm. I interviewed this woman. Her name is Rose J. Percy. She wrote this. It's called the People's Church versus People's Church versus the Ruler's Church. Mm. So if we look at history, we've already talked about this. The church has been complicit yeah. in the most atrocious things. Right, Slavery, for sure. the genocide of Native Americans, so many different things. So many different things. And that's called the Ruler's Church. There's always been mm. people using God and using church to be, to say that their evil acts are holy, essentially. Yeah, yeah sure. So that has always existed. I don't think that's ever going away. Mm, to that's bring a good clarity. distinction. Yeah. Do I think there's always been a people's church? Absolutely. Because mm. also, while some of the biggest proponents of slavery were Christians, the biggest abolitionists were also Christians. And so I think there's always been a ruler's church and a people's church. Mm. The question is, is the evangelical church the ruler's church? And do they need to move to the people's church? Yeah. And so... Do I think that they can move? I do, but I don't know if we would call it evangelicalism anymore because mm. I have been called, people say I am not, and I would not identify as an evangelical, but people have told me that because I believe X, Y, Z, merely believing in women's leadership has kicked me out of that club. Mm. So for me, if I am no longer part of the evangelical church, just because, or people oh. have said that, just because I believe in women, so what am I now? Has the institution sure. changed or have I changed? Sure. And am I, did I move from the ruler's church to the people's church? So I just think mm. that question is way too hard to answer. That's Do I think true. That 
There will always be a ruler's church. Absolutely. Mm. Do I think there will always be a people's church? Absolutely. Do I think the people's church will continue to grow and grow? I absolutely do. And that's what I believe like Jesus's plan is for yeah. that people's church to grow and grow. So can we all stop? You've said at least four times, this person told me I wasn't a Christian. I'm sorry. <laughs> at what point do I get to tell other people you're kicked out of the evangelical church or you're not a Christian anymore? I'm like, oh my gosh. At what point is it my job to judge? Is it what point? Like when... <laughs> It's just ridiculous to me. For me to be like, you're not a Christian. What in the actual world? Oh, there's a million <laughs> reasons I've been told I'm not a Christian. The first- But very, don't you get to decide? I do. That's why I call myself a Christ follower. But so yeah. many people don't get- some, So many people tell me. I've actually been told not to make that claim because I'm causing harm to Jesus's name. <laughs> oh, I I've can't. also been told that I need to repent and that I deserve to be raped because- And yeah. this is-, this is by Christians. Christians. Yeah, there's yeah, I have an email from a guy who I wrote an article oh, in my book is coming gosh. out. And he told me that I needed a print return on Jesus. That was like the first half of his email. And the second half of the email was how he could tell by looking at my face that I was a whore and I deserved to be raped if I hadn't already. Mm-hmm. And so my point in the is, name of Jesus, what in oh, what, yeah. in what world so is this of, loving? Oh man, I've had, you would not believe the number of men who've come to my profile and told me the same thing or something like it. Yeah. They'll usually attack. There's always an attack of my sexuality, or I'm either ugly. Oh, um, yeah. to the, they call me ugly a lot, or they'll say that my husband is a beta male. They'll <laughs> say that I don't know how to read the Bible, oh, and I get a lot of this. And a lot of them are so young, <laughs> oh, eighteen-year-old. Shoot, funny. I'm like, aren't we? Like, are outgrowing patriarchy? I guess not. Dang it! The crazy thing is, they are. They but tell you not that everyone. I know they tell you that you're ugly though it's so that's an interesting strategy though because of their core belief that your looks and your sexuality is the only thing that gives you value absolutely and so if I tell you that you're ugly then it's gonna just rock your whole world and you're like guess what I don't care what you think about me like yeah and I also just know you're saying that because you don't like what I'm saying right maybe you do think that I'm ugly which I really don't care but I think this is how they like how can I really get at the worth? Of exactly, a woman? exactly. Oh, that's so rough. Oh, and man. then, and how can I really get at the worth of her husband? I call him a beta sure. male. So it's so interesting. Even the scripts they're playing out that they don't even know they're playing out. Your worth as a woman is how attractive you are to me. Your husband's worth is how dominant he is over you. Exactly. And yeah, you're both so. like cool. See you. No. Okay. Yeah. Last thing I will say that. So yes, I've never heard of like the ruling church versus people's church and that's blowing my mind and I'm excited to learn more. But I also, similar to what you're saying about people can change, like I was encouraged by Rick Warren's essentially apology to women. Mm -hmm. It was like honestly one of the best apologies I've ever read because he basically was like, I kept this going because I benefited and I stayed in power. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm like, dang, like mic drop by Rick Warren. I wish the SBC would listen to him. So this is my point about yeah. do I think the church can change? Right. He changed his church. Right. They kicked him out. Right. So exactly. like the thing is, is evangelical, even, I think evangelicalism, the institution might just keep on being itself. Right. Do I think that people can leave and make something better? Because exactly. he was clearly kicked out and they undefined they unincluded him or whatever right that happened with beth moore it happens yes. all the time it happens so all this the time. is what this is do i hope that things can change yes i don't know if it they're I gonna know. still be defined as what they were defined as which is such a bummer because we have a female pastor at our church which has healed all sorts of things in my heart and her name is megan hermes love her to death and we were talking about this and about him and and essentially there's a list of 600 women who have claimed to be sexually assaulted within the SBC, it comes out publicly. So of course there have to be more than that didn't sign their Mm -hmm. names. And we were talking about how there's one woman on the board, right? If there was a single woman on the board looking at this list as it's made one woman, two women, three women, let's choose to protect the pastors and the clergy instead of the congregants, that would fly 
Not at all. (laughs) That woman would be like, hell to the no. Am I going to let this continue happening while we keep the men in power, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like we need women in leadership, if for no other reason than to protect each other. (laughs) And it's such a bummer. That list comes out. The truth, the truth comes out. There are people like Rick Warren saying, ah, let's question this. I think women should lead. And and the response by the SBC is, nah, we're going to keep on trucking. We're going to keep on doing what we're doing. And so I I feel like having this diversity in leadership is important, even just for protection. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's the benefits are unfathomable of of having a a diverse, and I want to say not just in women, I think, and race and sexual orientation. I think all of those things are really important because I think Jesus, I mean, if we look at his life story, what did he do? He included those on the, the margins. The margins. He, yep. he included the sinners. He hung mm-hmm. out with the tax collectors. And I, I, I just, I, duh. Yeah. Yes. I, I just, <laughs> I've benefited so much from different theology and from different perspectives. And, yep. and on the Bible, it says, it's so funny. I've been accused of, Another reason people tell me I'm a, not a Christian is because I love people too much. Well, okay. Yeah. Because social justice is actually a perversion of the gospel. I don't no, know. I've been that. told that. I yeah. have been told that. Yeah. yeah. But if we look at the gospel of Jesus, what did he say? Whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done unto me. Yep. So how do we show our love for God besides showing our love for people and serving them and including them and fighting for justice for them? Yep. And that's literally the Bible, the Bible and the groups, the (laughs) same groups that are excluded from churches that most Christians would be, would never be seen with. I can't even be seen with someone who Mm -hmm. is fill in the blank because of my faith, which it are the people that you're supposed to be loving. Yep. Right. Totally. I was actually, I remember when my book was coming out, I was invited to speak at a woman's conference mm. and I just felt the need to tell the truth that I was like affirming of gay marriage and I was disinvited. And so that's another example of just, I can't even associate with you because our theology doesn't line up for tea. And so I just. Yep. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So many things. We could talk for another three hours, but I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody at the end of the show. So when you're at the end of your life and you're looking back, what does a successful life look like to you? I had a, I wrote down the answer to this because I prepared. And so I'm opening it because that's a, that's something you definitely need to think about and not just, (laughs) yeah. I want to push people to see that loving their neighbor is loving God. I just mentioned that. And I want to make this world a better and safer place for girls and women. And while doing this, I want to embrace as much joy and whimsy as possible, which can be really hard when you're in the justice realm. But I I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. A lot of people think I'm an eight or a one or all these different. We're the same. We're the same. Are you a seven wing eight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so people know me for whatever, but I also really just love having fun and having yes. vacation. And yeah. um, so I, there's got to be a way to do both. And I, I think I'm trying to do that, but I yeah. don't want to be so dedicated to my justice work that I forget that life is also supposed to be a gift and joyful. Yeah. So I love that. Uh, that's my answer. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. And I hope to have you on again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Megan, for being on the show today. I loved talking with you and learning from you. And I just really appreciate your voice and the work that you're doing. So thank you for being here. Listeners, I know that was such a great show. And if you want more information on the same topic, please be sure to check out the podcast episode I recorded with my pastor, Megan Hermes, about women in leadership. You're going to love that episode. Additionally, Megan, gave us so many different resources from her podcast of if you want to learn more. So those episodes are linked in the show notes. So be sure to check out her podcast, Faith and Feminism, and her book, Women Rising. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. 